Welcome to our Far and Sure podcast with John and Frank Casey Jr. of Rossipena. We've got a couple guys here from Ireland to tell us about St. Patrick's Day. I'm mostly excited because we've got you here and we haven't been together in a while, but uh, we first met some time ago at Streamsong Resort which you guys have played in that invitation. Didn't you guys win that one year? We did. We won it in 2015, I think. Yeah. Is that your yeah. first year that the you net section? Uh, I think so, yeah. We won the, we won the net section. Mm. Played in it two or three times. Damn. That was in your off-season in January. That's yeah. right, yeah, during the, during the PGA show. And I think I stamped you guys a ball mark or something like that. Yeah, that's right. It's possible. Um, but I remember at that time you guys were talking a little bit about St. Patrick's, but not even as a form, it's just a concept. You're talking a bit about like Tom Doak and things like that. But but the thing that struck me the most is you guys actually invited me and Megan, our co-founder, uh, my bride, to come out there. And I think we made our first trip a couple of years later, right? Uh, September 17, yeah. That was like probably one of our best trips we've ever made. I mean, you talked about it. We would see each other at the PGA show a couple of times. And then finally we got the courage to book the trip. And um, Frank took the time to kind of put together a long email of kind of where we should go and how we should stay and how we should get there. So we flew into Dublin and we stayed over in that Temple Bar area, right? That's right. Yeah. That was a pretty sweet trip. And for one we, night, it was just one quick night. I think we got settled in. Yeah. And then we drove all the way up to Rasapena, which was pretty sweet. I thought that drive was uh, one of the prettier drives I've ever been on, actually. And I think it's possible that we saw at least a thousand sheep on the way, whether they were in the road or crossing or on the side of the road. But it's pretty remote. We rented a nice car. I think I destroyed half of it because those roads are so tough to drive on, which you guys had to tell me a little bit about how to drive. But we kind of came around that big old mountain hill thing. What was that called? It's uh, it's called La Salt. It's the most prettiest hill, and it's just like fescue growing everywhere. Everywhere looks like this promised land of golf. Like every time I turned around, I thought I was like seeing a sweet links golf course somewhere in the hills and then finally we got there to sheep haven bay and you drive right along the old tom course i think and we got to rasapena so we got there and i was so impressed by how beautiful and away from everything it was but i didn't know where we were and i kind of want to hear from you a bit about how your guys's family got into rasapena and its history a little bit um just because i think it's an inspiring family story um so go ahead and start however you'd like but i'd love to hear about it so our grandfather came uh, and moved to downings where he met our mother our grandmother sorry in the 1930s and he actually worked in the original hotel that original hotel, unfortunately, burned down in 1962. But our father also worked there. So we kind of have a long family 
history with Rossipena, having our, our grandfather and father working there in the 50s. And then, as I said, the hotel burned in 62 and operations moved to the existing site, but it was a much different hotel. It was much different, you know, it didn't have the same stature, I suppose, as, as the previous hotel did. And the golf course maybe might have gone a little bit downhill over the years then at the same time. So our father then kind of moved along and worked in different places abroad and bought another local hotel not too far from here. And then the opportunity arose in the early 80s for him to actually buy Rasapena. So it was quite a, a kind of full circle that, you know, having worked in the hotel and caddied on the golf course as a child, that he'd have the opportunity, you know, 30 years later to actually buy the hotel. So um, borrowing heavily at the time and paying huge interest, interest rates were 23% in the early 80s. He and my mother, who he'd married a couple of years previous, bought um, Rossipena Hotel in uh, actually 40 years ago this April. It was the 4th of April, 1981, that they signed the contract and, and moved into the hotel. So, um, as I said, then Frank was born a couple of years later and then I came a number of years after that in 1987. So our parents worked at the hotel. They were there all day, every day. It was really, it's a seasonal property, so it's only open in the summer months. So from the beginning of April until the end of October each year. And they, our father's kind of priority at the time was the, the hotel as opposed to the golf course. Golf wasn't as popular in Ireland in the 80s or it wasn't as popular anywhere. But as things progressed and the hotel developed, he started to work on the golf course and um, pushing on the existing old Tom Morris links. And then in the late 90s, employing Pat Roddy from the European Club to uh, build the second course, Sandy Hills. And that opened for play in 2003. And then we also opened our golf clubhouse in 2005. And then we opened an alternative nine holes that we play as part of the old routing, uh, the old links in 2009. So a lot happened in the the 2000s at Rosapena and things moved on. And then obviously in late November 2012, then we were very fortunate to have the opportunity to buy St. Patrick's. Um, it had run into some difficulty some years before, so it had been sold at, at a good price at the time. So we, we moved on it and, and then sat on it for a number of years. And here we are. Here we are. So, John, what do you do at Rosapena? Because like you and Frank have like a lot of responsibilities and you just gave us the full story of how you guys came into getting the resort, but you're involved with basically everything over there where the rooms are, right? Yeah. I, I probably spend a little bit more time in the hotel and the, the golf end of things. Uh, I, I generally spend most of my day in the hotel and then move over to the golf course, depending on what's going on. So kind of in a family business, in a business like ours, you, you don't really have titles or sole responsibilities. You, you kind of deal with everything. I kind of sometimes make a joke that I'm like Batman. I just go where I'm needed. You know, you see the bat signal. Like wherever I have to go, I go and we see what happens. Is that year round or is that just during part of the year? That's kind of the seven months of the year from April seven to months. October. Seven yeah. months. Okay. So you're, do you work every day? Uh, yeah. Most days if we're not working, we're golfing one or the other. And what's your hours of work for seven months? Usually start about seven thirty and probably finish with six thirty, seven o'clock. So that's a pretty good sized day. And yeah. It's a, it's okay. Do you manage all the people and stuff? Because you guys have a lot of like people that come from all over. Where do the people come to help work you with you? Like in the in the summers, is it like from around there? 
Yeah, we have a lot of very good local loyal staff that have worked with us. We've, we've, we actually have a number of staff that have been there since before my parents bought the hotel. So they've actually worked there for the 40 years that my wow. parents have been there. There's a couple of staff that were there from day one. And then we have a lot of other staff that have, have spent easily over 30 years there. So we don't really, you know, managing staff isn't our biggest issue. A lot of our staff are very, very good. They're uh, very loyal and they're very good at what they do. And, and we'd be nowhere without them. Yeah, I thought they were great when we came up there. I mean, they took care of our daughter, Ruby, while we went and hung out at, you know, with you guys and took some other trips and stuff like that. Um, and, you know, a couple of parts there that you kind of went through so quick. I mean, the old Tom side of it um, is so inspiring just because like old Tom goes with just synonymous with like the beginnings of golf and you have like St. Andrews and, a handful of others and you know the story of rasa penna and how it fits within that isn't always told but there's so much great history there which is cool but you know this other thing about acquiring this property which is just south of you i mean i know that like i had the chance of getting to talk to frank a bit you know as it was kind of a thought you know and it was really still a thought when i think we met back in 15 but Frank, I mean, can you talk a bit about how that came to be? Because I feel like it was a dream thing to happen. And now, um, now where it is, it's, it's pretty awesome. But tell me a little bit about that. So um, as John said, we purchased uh, the lands in uh, November 2012 and um, immediately reached out to, to Tom to let him know the to know the, the good news that we'd uh, finally been able to secure the property. Um, Tom actually made a subsequent visit in March 2013 um, with Eric Iverson, who was the lead associate on the project. Um, and they, you know, over a number of days, a couple of very cold days in, in early March 2013, finalized um, their routing. Um, so then sort of, you know, a few years between then and when we actually started, um, we, we went into a partnership with Tom to develop St. Patrick's um, as an 18-hole golf course. So it sits just south of Old Tom Morris and Sandy Hills. It's on the exact same tract of Dunes land, um, but you access it from a different point. So you actually leave the resort and drive four kilometers and you'll drive in a separate entrance to access the, the clubhouse from, from the south of, um, of St. Patrick's and south of our two courses. Um, so we started in, in April 2018. We started to mow out the golf course and actually built two greens in June of that, of that year. And then really in earnest, we started in July 2019 and built all the green complexes first uh, and, you know, a little bit of fairway work, but got all the greens built, got all the greens seeded. Uh, then through last winter, we or the winter of 1920, we worked on all the tea complexes and again, some more fairway stuff. And then we were stopped in our tracks more or less a year ago, um, just after you and I got, got back from our trip to Australia. Uh, we only did maybe two more weeks of work after I got back from that. And then we were stopped for nearly three months with our initial lockdown. Uh, we were lucky enough then to get back into the last five and a half fairways and a few other finishing touches come August, 2020. 
and they were all seeded towards the end of August. And then through this winter, um, just past, we have just been finishing pathways and edges of fairways and just some sort of places that are part of the golf course, but out of play. And we hope to be open come the end of June. End of June this year. Yes, this year. 2021, which is why yes. we need to get out there. I need to book a flight. But going back to this property, it was an old, uh, was it Nicholas that designed it, golf course? So the original, the original St. Patrick's, um, it was sold at auction in 1976. It was three separate farms sold um, as one lot at, at auction. And it was bought by a local hotelier, Dermot Walsh, from the next village over, Kerry Gart. Uh, he slowly developed it. Um, and it was actually Eddie Hackett, who's a, an, an Irish architect, who um, designed one course, the Maher McGorgan. And then a female architect, Joanne O'Hare, who was the assistant at Royal County Down. She designed the second course, the Tremor Lynx. So they were actually both built roughly the same time in the early mid 90s and they both opened for play around 1996 so the course St. Patrick's Lynx at that time operated as a pay and play facility with no members uh, operated out of the Carrigard Hotel and it was open for about 10 years roughly from 96 to 06 and then a local developer from actually Milford which is just 20 minutes south of here uh, Relton Developments, they purchased the lands from the Walsh family and brought in uh, Mr. Nicholas to design two golf courses on, on the same, on the basically the exact same footprint. Uh, work did start. They did about six to eight weeks worth of work at the very end of 2006. Um, but after the Christmas break in 06, nobody came back on site in 2007. Um, so the, the work that they did was left to sort of blow around um so we then uh, and it went it sat then in, in disrepair for a couple of years and then the banks took it over and then we were we, we bought it from the banks in 2012 so the property itself i thought was pretty beautiful you have a couple of things there that you said one is that you basically take over 36 holes of golf and you're making 18 on it, right? So how many acres is this that, property? That's right. So it's 360 acres altogether. And then as far as the property goes, like Tom came there and he was really interested in it from the beginning because, you know, he'd never made anything in Ireland, right? And if you that's take right. away like the, the inspirations he has for these courses, like the ones that introduced me, like Tom Doak was kind of my inspirator, of you know, Pacific Dunes, uh, a lot of it comes from like Royal County down and stuff, right? He, Tom had a couple of, a couple of projects that never, that never got off the ground in Ireland. And we were very lucky in St. Patrick's and the fact that the two golf courses that had been established grandfathered in the planning. So we had no permitting issues as such. And Tom was able to come in and it, it's, it's not a redesign. It's a, it's a complete brand new golf course. Um, you know, we use a couple of ribbons of fairways on two, seven and eight and 16, but it's, it's a brand new green complex, brand new teen area. Um, you know, the holes actually go the opposite way that they would have gone in the original routings. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, 
it's like it's honestly like nothing else in the UK and Ireland. The blowouts, the scale of the bunkering, the scale of the fairways, the green complexes. It's um, yeah, it's very different. I was most impressed by the dunes. There's, I mean, there's that one day that we had your rental car that I think we tried to destroy while we were driving out there. Um, pretty sure it went into a couple of potholes, and I don't know if you paid for the insurance or not, but hopefully it covered it. But um, you know, those greens, they carve into these dunes and there's some blind shots. Um, I mean, am I too far off to say that like, it reminds like me of a couple of great courses up in um, Ireland that, that just are just beautiful. I mean, Royal County down is the one that I keep thinking of. I mean, are there other courses that you think of when you look at that topography that are just like super dope and super you know, related to what you're seeing out at St. Patrick's? Because you guys got some great photos too. Where are those photos? Like your website has some of those, right? Yeah, yeah, we do. Um, we It would remind you a lot of, of County Down, the dunes. Um, a lot of the golf courses, you know, back back in the 80s and 90s would have planted um, buckthorn, uh, um a buckthorn is sort of a, a tree plant to sort of stabilize their blowouts and to, you know, to stop them eroding any further. And that actually wasn't done that much in St. Patrick's. So whereas a lot of places, a lot of courses in Ireland do have those sort of blowout dunes, but a lot of places have, have sort of covered over the sand. So but St. Pat, we, that was never done in St. Patrick's. So when you stand on, you know, the 16th tee or the 6th tee and you're looking straight back at, at the dune system and all these spectacular blowouts. It's like, yeah, it's like nothing else you see here. Um, in terms of scale, it would remind you a little bit of the, the second course at Ballybun, or Cairn or County Down. You know, you've got those huge, huge dunes, um, you know, uh, deep, deep, deep hollows, you know, right even in some cases right beside the green complex um it's a spectacular site oh john did you design that short so, course that you guys have the foot golf um we actually did lay it out a very long time ago it was kind of laid a out foot golf right it's a foot yeah. golf it's a part three course it's 11 holes it's probably some of our inspiration for seamus golf park yeah so we we used to have a little pitch and pot on the other side of the road and then we we built some golf holes there so we moved it we took advantage of the kind of ribbon of dunes and put all the greens into the kind of ribbon of dunes and then um about four years ago we built it probably about 15 years ago and then about four years ago we we kind of had the idea that we might try a foot golf course but the real benefit i think the football the foot golf uh, holes are about 28 inches the cup so the real benefit of the foot golf cup was that you get some parents who will go and play golf now with, with their kids and they'll both play pitch and putt, but the, the adults will play to the little normal cup and the kid will play to the foot golf cup, the large cup, but they'll actually play golf to it. So it's kind of given a new lease of life to kids that aren't, you know, that struggle a little bit with putting or getting the ball in the hole and they can pay, play competitively with their parents because they play to the larger cup. So, and then you get other kids that, you know, maybe one child wants to play pitch and putt and another child wants to play foot golf and they can all play together and they all enjoy it. So we've seen it's given a huge, um, a huge start to golf for us, for, for young people, you know, lo you know, locally and visitors to the area that kind of gets them into golf because they see the footballs and they play foot golf and then they come back and play pitch and putt. So it's a great, it's great from that point of view to get people kind of thinking and more encouraged into golf.
Well, we got into it because, I mean, we had our daughter, Ruby, who was, uh, I think, six at the time, and she wanted to do the foot golf, just like you're saying. And then I was chipping, and it was exactly what you said. And then there was a moment where I saw, like, I want to say, like, 20 or 30 kids with a couple of adults, like teachers or something like that, and they were out there playing. And, I mean, it looked like they were having the greatest time ever. So, you know, the concept I thought was cool. But usually, does foot golf even have – a golf component on the same green normally or is that something you guys put into it you know we kind of did that it's not ordinarily i don't think there's any huge rules or, or precedents in foot golf it's so new but i don't think so normally it's it's just foot golf or just pitch and pot we kind of thought we might do pitch and pot in the mornings off in the afternoon but that just didn't work because people came and wanted to do the other so when we kind of combined the two, we found it just hugely successful and then found that people, you know, kept playing golf to the bigger cup. So it just worked so well from a, an introduction to golf point of view. You know, Frank was mentioning that you guys might even have a new distillery not far from you. Is that true? Yeah, that's that's true. So the Crowley distillery is has uh, started distilling their own spirit and they've, they've, bought, they've put it into casks in the, in the last number of months. So Crawley Distillery is really, really close to Critch Island Golf Club mm. um, that you played when you were here, Akbar. So it's really, really cool. It's an old doll factory. It was a real indigenous little factory in, in, a, in over near Crawley, near Anagri in West Donegal. And three guys, a couple of them are actually members of our golf course, of our golf club. Three guys took over the, the doll factory and turned it into a distillery. And they've just started distilling their own whiskey. So it's, it's the Crowley Distillery. It's very, very, it's going to be very popular and very good for tours and for people to come into the county and to see, play golf and do some whiskey, whiskey tasting. What other uh, Irish whiskeys would you recommend that somebody check out? Something that we might be able to get over here. So it's likely that you'll get Bushmills over there. So Bushmills Distillery is right by Royal Port Rush Golf Club. They, uh, it's the oldest distillery in Ireland. They were first granted their license to distill by the King of England in 1608. So it's really, really cool. And they, they, you still see the old building there. They've, they've moved the distillery into the newer part, but they do some fantastic tours. And they do a range of, of aged whiskies and, and malt whiskies. And, and, you know, Black Bush is one of their popular ones. And Bush, you know, there's 10-year-old, 16-year-old, 18-year-old. They're very, very good. So Bushmills. That's up there. Bush there was Mills. another one that you had us try. Well, there were two others. Okay, so I remember uh, it was Green Spot. Was that one? Yeah, yeah. Green Spot's made in Cork. It's made in the old Middleton Distillery. It's made under bond for Mitchells and Sons, who are located in Dublin. They actually, they actually have the license to sell it, but it's very, very popular. It's a whiskey that wasn't as readily available abroad, and the states until a couple of years ago, and now they've they've got much more extended distribution so you can get it in the states but it's very popular there was the other one though that came out at the end and i think it's the same maybe one that i think frank brought me um middleton it came in a yes. cask, like a, it was like the nicest piece of wood casket looking yeah, thing yeah. where you like open up with two doors um yeah so that's that's known as middleton very rare and a bottle, they produce one bottle annually with the age statement. So there's the 2021 bottle was actually just released a couple of weeks ago. And it's sold out on the on the Middleton website in like 30 minutes. It's just unbelievably popular. 
Um, it's just they're really collector's items, but they do some fantastic gift boxes and casings and stuff on, on the wooden cask, as you said, the wooden box, as you said. What's the best way to drink these Irish whiskeys? Uh, the better the whiskey, really, you don't want to dilute it or put anything in it. So it's it's just served at room temperature with no ice and just enjoyed. Room temperature, no ice, enjoy it. So don't drink it all at once like a shot. Exactly, <laughs> exactly, okay. exactly. And then do you pair it with a Guinness ever? Or is it like, that's the full pas. So what is the cycle that you would suggest? Is it like a Guinness after the round and then an Irish whiskey after the dinner? Yeah, exactly. So Guinness, the whiskey kind of toward the end of the evening and, okay. and, and just enjoy it. So the Guinness maybe when you're a little bit thirstier and the whiskey when you're a little bit more full up after your dinner. Well, over here, um, I think there's some inclination to combine the two in some way, which I don't know if that's a good idea or not. There's other things like an Irish car bomb. Have you ever heard of that? No. I don't no. think it's very Irish. It's one of these things where they put <laughs> um, Baileys in the Guinness. You guys don't do that? No. 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 Okay. No. Well, that's, that's the Irish tradition in America there, the Irish car bomb. I'll have to introduce you to it when you come next time. Um, so like, what are the traditions of St. Patrick's Day? Like, you guys have one of the greatest names for your golf course, St. Patrick's Links, and I actually think one of the coolest logos. But tell me about St. Patrick's Day in a non-COVID era, like what goes down um, around you guys or even in Ireland, just to get a sense of what it really is about. So a, a typical St. Patrick's Day everybody's off work everything is closed um even hospital it's more of a family day it's almost like a second christmas day so what generally happens is people get up in the morning and they go to mass so mass would be very much part of st patrick's day um and everybody wears a little almost like a little brooch or a little um like a pocket square of, of and then you wear that to mass and then a lot of people go home and go to the parade so every little town across ireland a town in downings there's a parade and carry garth the neighboring village have a parade there at two different times of the day and then after the parade people generally just go to the pub so there's the pub in the town so everybody just goes to the nearest pub and then that's really that's it for the day the 3 p.m 2, 3 p.m. Oh. pubs in Patrick's Day. So, they, so, yeah, so the earlier the parade, the longer you'll be in the pub. What happens in the pub? I mean, like, I have a vision in my head. I mean, there's music, I presume. Yeah, traditional music, Kaylee music. Kaylee music. Yeah, boron types, boron and fiddles and that type of music. Do you, okay, so do you have dancing? Uh, dancing wouldn't be that popular. The pub's too busy for dancers. Okay. So the Irish dancers that we see are not part of the picture on St. Patrick's Day? No. 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 Okay. Okay. And then what are you guys eating? Like, are there some special foods that come out for St. Patrick's Day? There's not really. Irish pubs, food wouldn't be big in the picture in an Irish pub. It's more about, you know, some pints of Guinness and then moving toward the, the whiskey in the afternoon or the late evening dinner food wouldn't be a, a big part of st patrick's day because you get what you need out of the guinness yes exactly yeah yeah okay i understand so you said that uh, one of the things you kind of broke up on my computer here it was 
you wear something special uh, on that day. It was like a brooch or what was it? It's, it's just a little collection of shamrocks. Okay. So a little, um, yeah, just tied into like a little safety pin that you can wear on your on your clothing. Okay. So you got that. You don't wear green. You Some wear people green? wear green. I don't. I don't wear green. Sometimes okay. I've worn green trousers playing golf on St. Patrick's Day, but not not as a rule. Okay, this is sort of like an optional thing. Over here, you'll get pinched or something like that if you don't wear green. So St. Patrick's, um, <laughs> you know, going into St. Patrick's further, uh, he was indeed a saint, right? And, you know, some of the things that were brought into your storyline for the golf course came from St. Patrick's. Can you tell me a bit about St. Patrick's himself and what he did and kind of his era that made him worth celebrating, but also um, a part of the brand for your newest golf course, Frank, John. So Saint pa- yeah. Saint- <laughs> <It's open. laughs> Frank might've took that one, but St. Patrick, um, St. Patrick banished all the snakes from Ireland. So we're very fortunate that we don't have snakes in Ireland, like Florida and other parts of the world, Australia. So we have no snakes in Ireland, thanks to St. Patrick's. And that's kind of what he's, He's mostly famous for, and obviously he's the patron saint of Ireland, so he's our our patron saint. So, Frank, uh, part of your logo has that snake inspiration. Can you tell me a little bit about that for St. Patrick's links? Yeah, so kind of one of our early initial um, sketches that we did with um, Don Plasic of Renaissance um, was... uh, the three leaf um, shamrock clover, and then almost trying to tie in the SP into it as well. And then we furthered that on with yourself and um, Chad, uh, which was great. And then you guys, I think it was yourself that came, came up with the adding the, the scales and the head and the neck, we were, you know, which we thought turned out, you know, absolutely fantastic. I thought that this logo came out as one of my favorite ones. Obviously we had some involvement with it, but I'm pretty excited about it and seeing it get launched properly, especially once you guys get up and running. That's for sure. Yeah, no. Yeah. We're, uh, we're, we're really happy with the way it came out. Um, it looks great on, on brassware, on head covers, on clothing, on caps. Um, there's beautiful balance to it. Um, we've had some great reactions already from some people who were here last summer. Um, we had some merchandise in the shop last summer. It wasn't a great summer to try and sell any number of, of anything, really. We had uh, with so few um, foreign visitors in the country. But some of the people that we did have here were... Uh, we're very impressed and um, yeah, wanted to know a little bit about the backstory of it. Um, so it's a great talking point. Well, I'm excited to get out there and see it and buy one of everything that you do. Um, yeah. But tell me what your favorite courses that you've been to are, maybe the top five or 10. It doesn't need to be any format, but I'm just interested to hear. Um, well, John and I are both very fortunate to, to have been brought up playing Lynx golf in Ireland and Scotland. Um, we used to go to Scotland when we were younger um, on family holidays and played quite a bit of Lynx golf around Scotland. So, you know, we are, we are spoiled with what we're, with what we've come 
accustomed to and what we've played. But been very lucky through um, through our association with golf and our, our jobs in golf to have played all around the world. But one of my favourite places, which I've only went to for the first time in, tw- in November 2018, was uh, was to the um, to the Sandbelt in Melbourne. Uh, the golf down there is just, you know, a lot of it's very like what we have here at home with the, you know, the hard, fast, firm conditions. You know, you can play the ball along the ground, um, but just some of the Melbourne bunkering and the strategy involved, uh, places like Kingston Heath, Royal Melbourne, um, Metropolitan, Yarra Yarra is just fantastic. Very lucky we was able to jump across and did Barnboogle Dunes. Um, where Tom designed the, the first course, which opened in 04, just before Lost Farm a couple of years later. Um, and then I was very lucky as well this year, or last year, I got to go to and see Tariti, which is um, one of Tom's newest courses that opened in 2015 or 2016. This trip, um, these places you're talking about, I feel like I was just a part of your baggage for, yeah. because I was there for yeah. some of these and I'm on the same page. I mean, they're all great spots. Um, to you know, narrow it down though, if you're going up to Ireland and you're trying to book this trip, I mean, you know, if you were to try to give like a couple of general sentiment, like here's a couple of places you should go, and I think that you know, Rasa Pena is going to be really a focal point for people coming up that way. Um, you know, you showed me Critch Island, um, obviously Royal Portrush, um. And you know your courses, St. Patrick's Links. What else is up there that's worth kind of taking a look at as part of that trip? Yeah, so most people would come here for maybe seven, ten days. So I think you know a, a re, you know if you're not going to the southwest, you know it's it's come up to Royal County Down, um, stay there, play, stay at Slave Donner, play Royal County Down, and play our glass. Travel across, do Royal Port Rush, travel west and uh, stop at Ballyluffin. They have two great golf courses there, the Glacidi Links and the Old Links. Then come across to Rossapena. We have the hotel on site and the three golf courses, Old Tamaris, Sandy Hills and St. Patrick's. You have Port Salon, which is only 25 minutes away. And then you go south of us and you have Critch Island, which is the most spectacular nine-hole course. It's like a mini pebble beach um, right beside the Crawley Distillery. That's when so I almost your... slipped into the water there, man. That's, what, that's where we nearly lost you. That was yeah. like my favorite freaking place I've ever been to. It's just like probably the best golf course of the 80s, right? Because it was built in 1987. Yeah, 87, 88, something like Nine that. Nine holes, yeah. you drive through the middle of it. And, you know, there's a couple holes that essentially look like Cypress Point. That's right. Yeah. I mean, it's a beautiful. It's a beautiful spot and it's great fun. It's a, you know, it's a fun, it's kind of semi-blind in places and, um, you know, we small pot bunkers and a beautiful par three over an inlet, number six, very famous hole. Yeah, it's a beautiful spot. And then, mm-hmm. so you've got the distillery then where they're going to have a visitor center and whiskey, t- whiskey tastings. And then just south of, uh, south of Critch Island, you've got Naren and Port now where uh, Gil Hans has come in uh, in the last number of years and done a full redesign there as well. So that's another mm. spot definitely worth. Well, I appreciate you guys and your time today. Uh, thank you so much for being part of our first, maybe our last podcast. We'll see uh, how people <laughs> like it. But uh, I just think it's nice to hear from you guys uh, a little bit about what's going on over there. So 
congrats on St. Patrick's links and I can't wait to come visit you. Thank you. And thank you for all your support and help. Yeah. Thank you, Akbar. Hi to Megan and Ruby. I will for sure. You too. Cheers.